This is the Agent Mind Podcast. Welcome to episode 33 of the Agent Mind Podcast. I'm your host, TJ McGraw, and I'm an active investor and real estate agent. And I'm on that big quest to define the perfect mindset in order to build wealth and live within your passions. And, you know, as you know, this show is about conversations with super smart people, whether they're inside real estate business or outside of the real estate business. Everybody that I have on um, should bring something to the table. They definitely do for me. And I definitely uh, beg, borrow, and steal any wisdom. wisdom (laughs) I'm going to make that word. Any wisdom nuggets. (laughs) Any nuggets of wisdom that I can uh, beg, borrow, and steal from from all these guests. Um, So it's been a cool experience uh, talking to all these folks. And um, I'm just glad I had the idea to, to record it all and get it all down on audio and share it with all of you. Um, so if you enjoy that, if you enjoy what we're doing, hit subscribe, leave a review so we can get out in front of some more people that might benefit from the show. Um, check out the website, theagentmind.com. Uh, I got, you sign up for a newsletter. Contact me through that uh, through the website. Um, book a call with me. That'd be cool. I'd, I'd love to hear um, what you all think. Let's get on a phone call. Let's talk. Um, if you think you might want to be on the show, if you got some some cool stuff to offer, definitely book a call. Let's talk about that for sure. So um, I do want to say I've, I've been I had um, Chris Harden on a few episodes ago, who has a company. Um, him and his partner Brandon have a, a company that uh, is called Book Me Solid, and it is uh, they use Facebook ads in a very succinct way to engage. Um, engage potential, engage leads basically with uh, Facebook Messenger. And it is phenomenal. I've been using it literally for less than a week right now. And I have, I have more leads from any other lead source I've ever um, tried to get leads from. So um, it's pretty cool. And the, the way they engage is awesome. So highly recommend that. Um, check it out. Book a call with Chris. Um, go to bookmesolid.com. Um, you can definitely book a, a discovery call with him through that website, bookmesalad.com. Um, they're not a sponsor. I just I just think it's so cool what they're doing over there. Um, and Chris is a pretty cool guy. And uh, we both run. So maybe that's, we're both kindred spirits. We like to, uh, we like to go on long runs, <laughs> which most people do not. <laughs> but so um, perhaps that's it. Perhaps I just like him in that regards. Anyways, uh, today got an awesome guest on. We're going across the pond, across the Atlantic, over to the UK. Um, Sarah Flynn, uh, comes from the financial financial business background, um, banking background, essentially. Um, and she discovered one day that her goals were not her own. Sound familiar? Um, certainly can relate with that on my end. I think a lot of listeners can relate to that. Um, she realized that uh, the banking industry was just not her thing and um, decided to... Um, I'm not going to spoil the story because she's got a great story. Uh, something happened in life and and decided that she was going to pursue her passions, got into real estate investing, um, now has a a very successful real estate, um, investing company and is doing some pretty cool stuff that we don't really see over here that much, uh, in the States. Um, but it is, it is coming. I think we see it in like major metropolitan areas, but I'm not going to say anymore because I'll spoil it. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody from the UK, from Leeds in the UK, Sarah Flynn. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Um, today, I have we're going uh, uh, across the Atlantic um, from the UK. Uh, Sarah Flynn is joining us today. She's a uh, business owner, um, property investor, uh, podcast host, 
Um, her company is called KAF Properties, um, which I, I believe is your main source of your main your main business. Um, so I'm just I'm excited to have a, a, a real estate entrepreneur, um, maybe just general all around entrepreneur on um, and doing exciting things uh, over in the UK. So welcome to the show, Sarah Flynn. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me on, TJ. Honestly, it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you um, all the way across the sea, as you say. Yeah, um, exciting. Yeah, not not very often that you make it across the water without technically leaving your house. So, so yes. that's always nice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, really, really pleased to be here. It's just, it's wonderful to be on the show. Um, so thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited because um, I don't know a ton about the real estate investing or the real estate business anywhere else other than uh, the United States and then specifically in the in the area that I'm in, mm-hmm. um, in the United States. So I've always liked to talk to, to people from uh, you know outside the country to, to learn more about what's going on in in you know, where, from where you're from. So, but, and I'm really excited because of you, you got a great story. Um, and I think that your, your journey into entrepreneurship and the path you've taken is, is um, pretty exciting and interesting. So I guess let's, let's just start with, um, you know, what were you doing before you got into, um, into real estate investing and like, how did you get into it and, and, and kind of where you are now? I definitely yeah. want to talk about like what, what your, what your company does. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, as you sort of said, um, I alluded to there, I suppose, TJ, not all my life has definitely been about real estate. So, um, I'm 31 now and the last sort of five, six years of my life have been, um, very, very much about real estate and real estate only. And, but prior to that, no, there was very little, um, very little on the horizon for me in terms of real estate. In fact, I probably never, ever ended up um, I thought I would end up where I am now. Absolutely not when I um, first started out um, as a wee one. So um, where did it all begin and how, how did it end up here? And, and I suppose, as I say, it was incredibly unexpected. So I had great upbringing, um, really nice middle-class background. My parents were together. I had a younger brother, six years younger than me. Everything was going well. We had lovely holidays. You know, life was great. You know, school was nice. There, there was no reason um for for anything to to change and you know I got through school I had a bit of a debate um I'd done very well at school there was a debate whether I wanted to go to university um and at the time I was thinking that maybe I wanted to be a teacher so I was toying with the idea of being maybe English teacher drama teacher I was quite interested in sort of arts and theatre and that sort of thing so um I was considering my options basically um but my parents at the time were a little worried that the reasons I wanted to go to uni was um more to do with the party life um, rather (laughs) rather than the career life um so after um, a little bit of friction between them it was decided that I would go and get a job um similar to they had done and at the time my mum worked in a banking industry so she worked in um, Yorkshire Bank which is a very British English bank um, Mm and it's been around for over 100 years and she was working there as a a cashier that's what she'd always done and she said look come work for Yorkshire Bank 
get on the on the banking ladder. It's a great job to be in, you know, it's solid and um, it will serve you well. So um, through a bit of help with my mum, got into the banking world. So I worked at Yorkshire Bank from being 18 to 21. Um, and that didn't go well because all that happened to me was um, the party life that I would have liked at university. I just tried to have whilst having a full time <laughs> job, um, which um, didn't really go down well with the boss, of course. Um, yes. <laughs> so I had to leave Yorkshire Bank because um, I just made a bit of a fool of myself, essentially. Mm. Um, but I did understand about banking. So I um, went through some interviews and ended up getting a job at Lloyds Banking Group. And I thought, look, you know, you really need to knuckle down now and, and sort yourself out and have, have a proper career here. And mm. that's essentially what happened. So then from um, so, sort of from the age of 2021, when I joined Lloyds Banking Group, um, for the sort of that eight year period I was there, I decided that I was going to put my heart and soul into this. Um, and it went very well. I got multiple promotions. I ended up being head of a department, um, overseeing about 30 people. Then I went on to do some really big project roles. Um, th- things, were, things were great. There, there is no denying it. Things were just ticking on really nicely. Mm. Um, and then, unfortunately, in 2015, in the August, um, I got an awful call so that my brother um, had been taken very unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and through sort of multiple tests and a very oh, a horrible um, sort of laborious, um, agonising three-week wait, it turned out that my brother had um, leukaemia. Oh, so... Man. Yes. So he was only 19 at the time. And unfortunately, mm. um, you know, that really knocked our family for six. It kind of stopped everybody in the tracks. And then the next seven months, really, of my life just became about sleeping at the hospital with my brother because he was still classed as a minor. We were able to stay there with him. Mm. So me and my mum were taking turns to sleep over with him. And um, though the, he was never terminal, just through a, a series of really unfortunate events and failed chemotherapy and treatment, he did unfortunately pass away um, in mm. March 2016. So, yeah, so thank you. So, you know, after that point in my life, you know, that really left me completely shell-shocked. Um, you know, the, the, the grief was absolutely insurmountable you know it it was Mm. uncomprehendable I couldn't get my head around it I couldn't get out of bed um and I just lost passion for everything that I'd ever done um and in that sort of period of time I went traveling a little bit and um, really tried to get some headspace and reflect and I just really started to think you know what is all this for why am I going to the bank it's never what I wanted to do there has to be more to life um, you know, and then there was all this sort of added complexity of the fact that my parents obviously didn't want to go back to work. And then my dad had got made redundant just after my brother passed away. And um, we all really needed an income, but something that provided us the flexibility and the time to be able to grieve without having to do a full time role. Mm. Um, and and then sort of slowly in those months that I was off work um, just in a strange way as life always seems to work itself out um you know I started getting these what I would call signs really that um mm-hmm. property might have been on the horizon um so I'd kind of been speaking to my granddad a lot at this point and my granddad ironically had always bought and sold real estate he'd done lots of flips um on the side of his his main job and that's kind of what he'd done all his life to make a bit of extra income and he started mm-hmm. t- chatting to me about that and I was like oh that's quite an interesting avenue um and then just 
quite ironically, strangely, as these things work out, whilst my brother had been ill, my parents had also bought a property for them to flip themselves because they were thinking about early retirement. And then because of everything that had happened with my brother, we were kind of stuck with this property. So we had to do something with that. So we were quite involved in property in that way, mm-hmm. trying to do this property up. Um, and then my brother had always been an electrician by trade. Um, you know, So that was really connecting me to the property world. And he was obsessed with being entrepreneurial. Um, mm-hmm. He was doing all sorts of things much younger than than you know when than I was he was trading and he was you know investing in investing in gold and all sorts of bizarre things that I just thought were you know absolute madness I didn't understand what he was talking about but um he really got the idea of investing um so kind of you know slowly all these things came together and I just thought you know maybe I should give property a go and you know whether that be brave or stupid on an absolute whim I just quit work um, and luckily it all worked out in the end um, <laughs> but but at the time um sort of at the end of 2016 I really didn't know whether it was going to be okay or not but um you know, I was lucky. I had a little bit of money, um, just a small amount of inheritance um, from from my grandparents that they'd given me early. Um, and I'd spoke to my, my mum and dad, and I just said, "Look, do you think that maybe we should have a, build a business together?" And they were like, "Build a business? What? I've been working for forty years all my life. You know, I'm thinking about winding down. You tell me you want to start a company." <laughs> um, Mm. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, we could do it in Kyle's name. And that is the reason why today we are called KAF Properties, because they're my brother's initials. Um, ah. So the whole business has been built around um, my brother, in essence, which is a lovely way to honour and remember him, you know, and keep yeah. his legacy um, alive today. So so that was how I sort of got into the real estate world. Um, and, and the early days were difficult. And I mean, really difficult and I think um what nobody tells you about is just how damn hard it is mm. um and obviously your podcast is um specifically around um property and real estate so people who are listening I'm sure will 100% know <laughs> the grind you have to put in to be able to make it work but mm-hmm. um we decided not to go down any other avenue other than specifically buying property um, and either um, keeping it and holding it, um, you know, for for leasing and renting or flipping them to sell on for for profit. Mm -hmm. Um, And we decided, first of all, just to do flips. So we were buying really rundown, smelly, horrible houses where maybe there was somebody deceased in them or moved into a care home, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were doing them up and then we were selling them on for profit. Um, but the, the things that I didn't really know is I didn't realize that I didn't actually understand anything about property. So, um, <laughs> you know, I had all these notions when I was 18 that going to uni would be great to help me get educated. But then I got into property and never educated myself for years, which was stupid. <laughs> um, but I think yeah. a lot of people fall into that with real estate. People go, I'll just give it a go. And actually, mm-hmm. that is such a fundamentally important point that gets left out of property is you Definitely. have to educate yourself. So. Um, I didn't understand about the market. I didn't know where we were in the market cycle. I didn't, you know, Brexit was happening, which was absolutely enormous for the UK. Mm -hmm. I'd not considered that that was affecting the market. So we were selling these properties, but it was really hit and miss. So we might have something that would sell in a week, something that would sell in seven months. So we were going through this really kind of feast or famine scenario. Um, and we were, and it got to a point where we were like, this just can't, it can't continue. 
Um, so then I did do the smart decision and I invested lots and lots of my own money and time into actually educating myself in property, um, which made an enormous, enormous difference, thankfully. Um, and, and from then that's where we really kind of found our feet and where the company really took hold. So, um, you know, we decided that because property was so difficult, um, and because it's, it is, it is so hard and it's so time consuming, particularly when you first start, but it does provide, you know, excellent returns that our business that we ended up setting up was to help other people invest in real estate, essentially. So this, this is exactly what KAF properties um, does. So um, we um, use other people's money. So they would come to us. They would say, you know, Sarah, I want I want a great return from UK property, but I just don't have the time or the knowledge or the know-how, but I've got cash sat in the bank and I want a better return than what it's giving me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would partner with them and then we would invest in a property together, sort of on a joint venture basis. And then we would do all the legwork. We do everything for them. Um, we signed a contract together and then essentially they would just get the return over a set period of time um, in whatever way or shape or form they might like it. So sometimes mm-hmm. we do it where the investor wants like a lump, the cash lump sum at the end. So it might be like they want a 10% return. That's what we agree as part of the project. They get that at the end of sort of 18 months, two years. It might also be that they want to take it on a monthly basis. So if it's like a 12% return investment, for example, that we agree on, it might be that that's divided into 36 months if that was the term and they would get that paid into their bank account every month so we essentially do all the hard work so that they don't have to but they reap the rewards of of excellent Mm. um investments i suppose so so that was kind of how that that birth I suppose so we kind of we do that and that's how we grow our portfolio we help other people grow their portfolio Mm -hmm. um and, and now we basically retain all our properties for leasing um, and rentals. So um, predominantly we are built on houses of multiple occupation, which I know is something that um, isn't that big a thing in the US as I understand it, but in the UK is absolutely massive. Um, mm-hmm. And when I started to go through this process of educating myself in property and I came across um, houses of multiple occupation, I was just absolutely blown away by this model and the idea that people would, um, strangers essentially would live together um, in a house and they would rent the room and they would pay, each individual person would pay me to live in one one house. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just blew my mind at the time. Um, and it seemed like a no brainer because what I was missing in, the, in my original business model was cash flow. Um, mm. And I thought, you know, this is a great way to get high cash flow quickly Um, and and so that's really how we started building up our own portfolio it's how we've been able to give other investors that we partner with really good returns because we get very high cash flow from the uh, houses of multiple occupation that we own Um, so yeah that things have just gone from strength to strength and we've just recently um, started investing in some commercial to residential projects so we've got a couple of um, flat uh, conversions to flats going on at the minute we're just building out five flats Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the rest is history, but who knew that I would be here today after sitting in a small banking hall 10 years ago? That's definitely, definitely not what I expected, but it did all, it did all work all right, out all right in the yeah. end. Good news. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a, like I said, when we started it, it's very, very awesome story. Very interesting. Um, one of the, one of the coolest things I think, and, and a lot of people go through this, no matter where you're located in the world is that you, you wake up one day for whatever reason, um, you know, tragedy might happen 
um, or you're just, you're just hitting rock bottom or you're just at a dead end and you just feel like your job is just completely, um, draining you and you know, you need to do something different. And, um, that moment in time is such a cool, it's such a cool thing because it's, you, you are taking such a big step. You have faith in yourself, faith in, in that things are going to work out and you just quit your job and, and put, go all in on, on something. And and, in our case, it happens to be real estate. Mm. I mean, that's such a cool, just, that's just a, a, such a profound moment, I think in time that, um, that really it, it, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be overlooked as like, as how profound it is. I, I, I don't, I don't know why I'm thinking that. And so hitting me so deeply right now, but we kind of, I did a very similar thing. I quit my job. Um, I like to say I, I burned the boats. I, I just didn't, wasn't, wasn't looking back, did not want to go back. And what I heard you saying also is that um, you kind of, I, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word lost, but you were, you were uh, young and, and still trying to figure out kind of what you wanted to do in life. And um, basically a suggestion or a nudge from a family member guided you into banking. And yeah. that, that's, that happens to so many of us. We're just kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll go to trade school or I'll go to, um, to college or university. And um, w- w- our family members are push us into a certain career path. Mm-hmm. And so what I like to say is that w- we end up having these goals that are really not our own. Yeah. And, and we just adopt them. And we think they're our own until, until a point where, we realized that this is this is not the way I thought it would be, you know. Mm-hmm. As I'm as I'm attaining goals and, and trying yeah. to reach goals, so I think that's that's pretty cool. I love it when people realize that they're they're on the wrong path and they just make a quick a quick turn. <laughs> and, yeah, and but I think you've direction. got a really good point there, actually, um, TJ, around the self belief because I think that that over anything and, and this to me is around any entrepreneur it's not specific to real estate but anybody that decides they're going to make their own money Mm -hmm. to me um they all have one really key thing in common and that is an absolute unwavering Mm self-belief and and i think you know I, i read this formula recently and i absolutely loved it and the formula was um relentless effort times unwavering self-belief equals huge success yeah and and i think that that literally sums up perfectly what you have to do as an entrepreneur to make it work because you have you have to have maximum effort even when the chips are down, even mm-hmm. when everything's against you, even, you know, like as, you know, real estate is when you're losing deal after deal after deal and it's not working out, you know, nobody wants the house you're trying to sell and you can't, understand, <laughs> you know, um, and you're banging your head against the brick wall, probably quite literally in a house as well. Um, and, and, you know, and you, and you think that there is there's nothing left, you know, there has to be that unwavering, self-belief and faith within that you know no matter what I'm never going to quit 
because mm-hmm. it will work out in the end. And, and they are the, they are the people that succeed. But if I'd have not had that unwavering faith at that profound moment, as you rightfully mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. Um, I definitely would. And I'm stuck with that unwavering faith in myself, you know, for such <laughs> a long time. Um, I definitely wouldn't be here today. I'd probably sat back in the bank. You know, I, I, would, yeah. I wouldn't be in the same, um, definitely wouldn't be in the same position that I am now. So I do think that that, the, the, the piece definitely about the self-belief mm-hmm. is ultimately what rides any great entrepreneur through life. It, it has to be because sometimes there really is nothing else when everything's against you. Yeah, most definitely. Was there any, in the beginning, was there a point where you were, you were, you kind of wanted to throw in the towel and go back to banking or? Oh, there's been many, there's been many points. <laughs> there was a point last week. Let's not yeah. pretend. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. but I think, I think everybody goes through that. That's, part of business and it's part of growth Mm -hmm. but it's it's about when you feel like that and you feel in absolute despair and you know the end of uh 2020 was a was a real moment um actually like that for me you know because um everything had been going really really well and then covid hit and um Mm. our business just stopped overnight people were like, mm, I don't think I really want to put money into anything. I'd like to keep it because I'm worried. I don't know what's going to happen in the world. I want to, yeah. you know, want to cling on to my money. I don't want to invest it in anything else. Um, and we had all these properties lined up to invest with, you know, with partners in. And then all these partners one by one were, you know, taking back the contracts and, you know, getting cold feet. And, um, and we went through a real period of like, you know, is this gonna is this gonna work? Are we gonna turn a are we gonna turn a corner? Um and, and I really felt at the end of last year like, oh maybe it's not, maybe this is it, maybe this is as far as is, is as far as I can go. Um mm. but but then that faith comes back in. And I think it's something that is ingrained in you. It has to be ingrained in you. You know, I spent, I spent like three or four days walking around the house and, you know, and going for walks and just being like, Sarah, Sarah, what are you doing? Like, you need, you need to sort this out. Like, of course, mm-hmm. of course you are better than this, you know, but, and, and I think that that's where, and, and now ironically, we've had one of the best years we've, you know, we've ever had. <laughs> and that's the point yes. is that it is about sticking with it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it is. And, and I think what's fundamental about that is what comes with that unwavering self-belief is having an ex, an excellent support network. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely what's what has really drove me through in those hard times. Like if I have a little bit of a wave or a little bit of a wobble and I'm thinking, oh, is this going to work? Or I can't, you know, this deal's going a bit wrong and I can't see a way out of it. it that support network always, always brings me back you know, mm-hmm. and brings me back to where I were, where I was, have a little chat with somebody, you know, and these people are really close to me, you know, like my property mentors that I have, my parents, my wife, you know, all these people, really close friends that I sit to and I'm thinking, you know, what about this? Give me another idea because I can't think about this right now. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a really key point of an entrepreneur because there's this, um, and it really frustrates me, and I'd be interested to take your take on this, but there's this new trend that's going around called solopreneur and mm. it drives me around the bend and I'll tell you why it drives me around the bend TJ honestly because it's 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 not real you can't be a solopreneur it doesn't it doesn't exist yeah. nobody can build a business without a really great team like I couldn't have a really successful property business without an architect without mm. my construction guys you know without a planning consultant without a structural engineer those things don't exist you like nobody can do it all because 
you would implode, the business would fail. Um, and, and behind every great entrepreneur to me is an absolutely, you know, is, is an exceptional team. And that is to me what, what carries you through those dark times. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. That's a, that's all good stuff right there. I, I I'm, I'm so happy to, to, it was one of the questions I had is I always ask people about mentorship and I'm huge on, um, it's about, it's, it's teamwork that, mm-hmm. that really, uh, you have to build a team and by building a team doesn't necessarily mean you have to hire a bunch of people to work mm-hmm. for you. It's about, um, building relationships with and, and alliances basically with other entrepreneurs. Sometimes it's about having someone that, um, you can learn from and mentors that you can, mm-hmm. that you can bounce things off of and, and, and confide in and, and really, like you said, when the chips are down and you're just feeling like, I don't know, I don't know a way out of this. It, it, the first thing that I do now, I didn't do it before, but mistakenly, but now I'll, I'll, I'll get a hold of, of one of my mentors and say, Hey, this is what I'm going through right now. And it's always, they show you the light of, mm-hmm. that you weren't looking at. Cause you're kind of caught up in your own limiting beliefs. So yeah. that's, that's why I'm so happy to hear you say it. it is all about a team. You can't, you can't do it on your own. And that word solopreneur, it's, it irritated me a little bit too, but I, I really couldn't put my finger on it. You just definitely put your finger on it. It's, it's because you can't do it alone. It's not. It doesn't exist thing. to me. That's yeah. the point. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, you might be one, one per, you might be the only person in your company, but it's, it's impossible, especially if you're the only person in your company, it's, it's impossible yeah. to do it alone. <laughs> I mean, it's, you have to have some kind of, some kind of team in a very, um, I guess, loose sense of, of the word, yeah. but you know, people that you can rely on and count on. For sure. And, and, you know, going, when you talk about, um, you know, that point where you just keep push through and, and you'll get kind of past those moments of, of when you're not sure what to do, or you're not sure if it's all going to work out. I, I found that people who are, are working in something that they're passionate about, that that's what gets you into, that's what gets you through a lot of those moments, at least in my experience. And it's, if you, you just, you don't know how you, you can't really, at the moment, you can't see a way out. Yeah. Your things hit you unexpectedly, like 2020 and COVID that was just a blindsided a lot of people, but having that, having that faith in yourself and that, that passion that you just know, you understand that it's, it's going to work out. It's just, it's this weird belief. It's hard to, hard to describe only if yeah. you felt that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yes, yeah. And you just, you just push through and you get to that point. You're like, Oh, glad I stuck with it. Because now, like you said, now you're having one of the best years in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah. and, and I think that that's the thing it is about sticking with it. But I think that's really interesting about, um, you know, what gets you through those, those darker periods. Um, and, mm. and the passion is a huge thing because when you become passionate about something, and I mm-hmm. think it might've been, Steve Jobs, although I may be corrected on that, that said something like, you know, you'd have to be clinically insane to do what entrepreneurs do. And that's what he said, you know, to do what any entrepreneur does to build a business, you have to be clinically insane. The only thing that drives you through is passion. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is the truth. When you are so intensely passionate and you love what you do so much, it does carry you through no matter how bad you feel. But I think so, it was interesting when you were saying that because it also got me thinking about the other things that, kind of carry 
me through personally those periods and I do think it's about um consistency and, and daily mm. habits so I mm-hmm. do um a lot of journaling on a morning I do what they call the miracle morning which is like writing about my gratitude like mm-hmm. my attitude for the day um my dream goals and things like that and then I do like a bit of a reflection on the day at the end of the day I do daily affirmations um and I think those things also for me is really what carries it does help carry me through those those bad periods because sometimes if I'm feeling really awful and I just think you know this is never going to work out I'll look mm-hmm. back through things I've written you know I'll, I'll read reread my affirmations um and those things I think yeah do you know what look at all those good times I've had like because I've documented them yeah. I find that really helpful so I'll be like oh but look when we did this big deal and look how this really helped somebody and look at all the people we've housed this year and look um and and I think that sometimes it's about that like having that continuous um like what I would call daily positive habits yeah. because then when you do feel a bit worse you've got all those things like coping mechanisms almost to fall back on it in, in in a way mm-hmm. yeah most definitely a, a morning routine is is huge and uh, mm-hmm. I Hal Elrod with with uh, Miracle Morning yeah turned, turned me on to that as well <laughs> a few years ago really um yeah and, it, and that's and just to sidetrack on that a little bit I I can definitely I'll go through periods where I'll get to bed late because I'm doing something or working on something late and I, I don't get up in the morning to do that routine. And I kind of get out of the, get out of the habit yeah. and I can definitely tell like it's, it's mm-hmm. my days are completely jumbled. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, morning routine is, is huge, but specifically gratitude. I mean, that is, that's another thing. Like you, if you, you have the faith in yourself and the passion to drive you through and then in those moments, just like, well, let's look at like what, what we do have and, and where we are now and, and, and how thankful for we are for, you know, what, what we've been able to do, what we've been able to accomplish, the things that we have in our life, the family and relationships. Yeah. Like that's definitely, that'll put a smile on your face if nothing else, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. So that's, this is, I love this mindset stuff. This is like really what, what, what it's all about. I can, I can talk about this stuff all day, but Tell me, tell me about your, uh, a little more details about, about KAF and, and it's mostly, what are you doing mostly now? Is it, is it, um, you're, you're still joint venturing and you're, you're helping other investors that. Yeah. So, um, so the business very much from that perspective, um, is, is still alive and kicking, um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we're just going through the motions at the minute with a couple of deals that we've got, um, on the go, um, a couple of HMOs, houses of multiple occupation that would that were just finishing off there coming to the end. Um and we've got a really nice um project that would I don't want to and don't mean to interrupt, but it, um houses of multiple occupation, I just want to clarify is I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, of course that's absolutely fine. So this is a this is a home where um individual rooms are being rented out. Yeah, so I will I'll give a full overview of a HMO because I know that it's really not a US thing at all. And anytime <laughs> I speak in the in the US, I get this the same response. People are like, just tell me what, what that is. Um <laughs> so essentially it's something that originated um from what I would call um student housing. Mm-hmm. So um and a little bit like in America, you have halls um, and people can go stay there when you go to uni or college. Um, that's no different to the UK. So when we go to university, obviously, there are big student halls where people go and live together, obviously cohabit mm-hmm. through their period of university or college. Um, 
But then what happens in the UK is after the first year of halls, um, you can't stay there after that. It's just like a first year thing. Mm. So then you have to go find somewhere to live. Now, obviously, these students are still in the same predicament because they don't have any more money. They're still at university. Right. Um, so the cheapest way for them to live together is for them to all rent one house. So mm-hmm. lots of them tend to be between sort of three to six people generally um, that are friends will get together and they will go find a house and they will rent that house um, by the room as opposed to um, the whole house. Mm. Um, but obviously because they all know each other, it's cool. They all live together. They all like each other. They share the kitchen, the bathroom, etc. Mm-hmm. the living room. So that was how... I suppose traditional HMOs came about. So there was this original need in the UK, like 50, 60 years ago, for um, the, a sort of gap in the market for students who had left the halls but had nowhere else to go. So that that's right. what, and, and so that's been around for a fairly long time now. It's a very well established market is the student market. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, probably about twenty years ago, um, what started happening was the prices were rising. Um, in the UK for property to live um, and people just finding it harder and harder to not only buy a house, but even to rent on their own. Rents were going through the roof um, and people literally couldn't afford to leave the home. So there were lots of people then that were sort of in the mid twenties that had maybe been through uni or they were working full time. um, And they were like on the verge of getting married, but they were still living with the parents. Um, and and it and it was like a really funny time because people couldn't literally couldn't afford to do anything, and it and it started to get to the point where the average age for people leaving home was about thirty six, which is nuts. You know, nobody wants to live with the parents till they're thirty six. I'm very sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so then there was like this an, a new niche in the market, I suppose, and mm-hmm. some bright spark, definitely not me, um, thought you know. Um, maybe we could extend this house of multiple occupation idea from students and we could actually give it to like young working professionals. Um, so I, I would love to be the person that thought of that first, but sadly I'm not. And I'm sure that first person made an absolute killing um, as, they, yeah. as they took over the whole of the UK. Um, but no, it, it, did, it became a big thing. And gradually over the years, it's gone from very basic amenities to quite literally all singing, all dancing, better than a normal standard house you could it's mm. ridiculous what people are doing with them now yeah um, and and we are very much at that end of the market that is what we decided we wanted to do we wanted it to be very high end um you know really safe and secure but really luxurious providing really good amenities in really affluent areas and mm-hmm. um, so that that is kind of our our sort of corner of the market other people do other things so we have um obviously lots of um immigration into our country and so people that fled other countries for um war and things Um, Mm -hmm. and there's a big market there as well so more sort of basic standard hmos people do that for and people that need some help and aid so lots of people live together under one roof for that as well so there's lots Mm -hmm. of different ways of of doing it um but essentially how it is is you would buy um like the last one we've just done we bought a um four bed semi-detached house Mm-hmm. Um, we did sort of lots of chops and, chop and changing inside because it had lots of spare rooms that weren't needed. So mm-hmm. we made it into a six bed um, uh, property. Mm-hmm. Then we put en suites in all six of the rooms. So everybody's got their own private en suite bathroom mm-hmm. shower area. Mm-hmm. Um, then we gave them, uh, created a big, lovely 
TV, uh, living room with TV, uh, satellite, cable, um, you know, top of the range Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. um, electrical car charging ports, you name it, all singing, all dancing. It's got a lovely mm-hmm. big kitchen diner. Um, and then we put special digital locks so everyone's got their own key card, a little bit like a hotel. Um, mm-hmm. So they can just enter their own room on an evening or whatever they're doing. Um, and and it really is like the top end of almost bordering a hotel that you that you live in really, and obviously you clean yeah. your own shoes. Right. Um, so, but but that market has just grown and grown in the UK. Um, so um, then then comes the sort of um, snag, which is you as a landlord have to pay all the bills, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> and then people go, oh Sarah, that sounds horrible. Um, but trust me, it's not um, because it does it the the, the profit really does outweigh any bills that you pay so yeah. um for example in the four bed um house that we've just converted to the six bed hmo um sort of as a, as a rough example it would probably have rented as a standard four bedroomed house for maybe a thousand pounds a month which is about mm-hmm. uh, six fifty seven hundred dollars a month um mm-hmm. but with the house of uh, multiple occupation in, in place it rents for three and a half thousand pounds a month mm-hmm. um so even though um, obviously we pay the bills and we pay them, obviously we pay the mortgage on it as well, mm-hmm. um, the, the profit is still far, far greater um, than it would be of just a normal family rental. So the, yeah. it's, it was just such a big difference to me that when I found out about them, I learned about them. I just thought that is absolutely ludicrous not to go down that path for, from my perspective. Um, yeah. I think it's very, it is niche. Um, it only works in certain area of, areas of the UK. Um, and you do really have to know the market like the back of your hand to make them work. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you put the effort in and you really understand it, the returns are absolutely there. And, and that's why we're able to partner with investors because we're creating these um really really high revenue high cash flowing properties yeah. um and therefore then whatever the net profit is we split that on a monthly basis generally with the investor so we take a 50 50 split and that's um generally speaking how our business model um works loosely um so so that is in a nutshell the world of hmos but um it, it's fascinating and um, lots and lots of rules and regulations um, you know, it has to get checked. You have to have licenses for it. It has regular fire safety checks, um, obviously, because there's six unrelated people living together. Um, yeah. So th- there is lots and lots of rules and red tape around it. But if you can get through all that and you understand it, it really is an absolutely excellent um, proposition, really, from a from a UK property perspective. Yeah. And it ju- it sounds like like it sounds like it's just hard enough where not everybody's doing it. Exactly. And it's, but it's, but like you said, if you take the time to learn it and understand it, then it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a win for sure. Yeah. And that's, Absolutely. that's really cool because it, that's often where you find the, the success, finding, finding a, a, a niche and then, mm-hmm. and then just finding something that, that other people are not willing to do. Yeah. So that's, so there's some, some roadblocks or some red tape, as you said, to, to get these things rolling. Mm-hmm. But, um, there, there's more of an opportunity there. If you're willing to go the extra mile, it's less crowded, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's pretty neat. So what, so you mentioned, um, really, um, knowing the market. So what, what are the things in the market that you look for when you're looking for a property to, to set, to set one of these up? 
Yeah, so I think, as I say, it depends exactly on um, your target audience. And for us, it really was about we decided we wanted to target um, really affluent areas um, mm. and, and like sort of really what I would call white collar professionals, high end individuals. So mm. we generally house people like firefighters, um, policemen and women Um We've got lawyers, doctors. So, we, you know, we, we try and look for things. In, and that's really ultimately just because it gives us a higher return. It is as simple, it is as, simple as that. So yeah. in more affluent areas that we specifically target, um, they're the types of clients that you would find in, in those areas. And, and therefore, mm-hmm. we get a much better return, which is why we chose that model. And yeah. um, so, you know, for us, when we're looking um I would always start by using lots and lots of different tools online. So um, I look at demographics of different areas. I look at crime rate. I look at the average house price, you know, versus other areas. Mm-hmm. I would look at what sort of rent would be achievable. You know, is it a high rental area? I would look at all sorts of property statistics just to understand, you know, is there a high demand for HMOs? Because in the UK, there's lots of different websites where you can actually go on and look at how many HMOs are already in an area. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can look at how many are there and you can also look at how many people are waiting to go into one so people can register their interest. So um, so looking at a ratio, you can then get a gauge of, you know, is there a really big demand there? Is it worth um, is it worth buying? Mm-hmm. Um, so all those th- those factors start to come into play. Um, and then the one thing that I do, um, which I've been doing for a long time now and I've had huge success with, is I am um, a big advocate of fake ads. So mm-hmm. I will put fake advertisements for the property that I don't yet own <laughs> um, ah. in like a, a corner shop, a fish and chip shop, a hardware store. I'll do some online um, and I'll say, I've got these three rooms left. Two have already gone. Um, is there any, you know, the, uh, fully on suite? And I'll put pictures of previous properties that we've done on so they get an idea of how it's going to look inside because we pretty much do them all to the same standard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if anybody's interested, let me know. And then I just sit for a few days, twiddle my thumbs, <laughs> and I wait to see what the response rate is. Um, and that is an excellent gauge. Yeah. Um, and you can do that in anything. That doesn't have to be for a HMO. It can just be if you want to, you know, just do a normal family rental, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found that is one of the truest ways to understand if a property is going to work for you in an area without buying it. Because then because then you're taking away a lot of the risk. So I will then Definitely. sit and wait out and then I will look, see how many calls am I getting on my phone? Um, you know, and if people ring me, I'll just say, I'm really sorry, the room's gone. But we've got another one coming up in six months because I know I'll have that and I'll have it done by then, right? So yeah. um, that's how I then start collecting my database of people who I know is going to fill the room gotcha. if they can wait for six months. Yeah. Um, so it really is a win-win for me. So I'll say, I'll keep you on file and in six months, I'll come back to you and, you know, the, the room will be there. So I'm, I'm kind of already back filling these rooms before I've even bought the property. Yeah. Um, and equally, if nobody calls, I think, well, that's a bad deal, isn't it? So then I just look somewhere else. Um, but go. it's something that's worked for me for um, ages and forever. And I would never stop doing it now because I just feel it's like gold dust. It instantly tells me in a few days whether something is going to work for me or not. Yeah. I love the simplicity of it. I mean, that's, that is the truest way to, to gauge interest in that for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not, and I don't think you're being deceptive at all. Like if anybody's listening, like, Oh, that's, that's deceptive. It's not deceptive because you're, you're 
going to provide that. Oh yeah. yeah you, you are actually providing that. If there's They're people, just, if people want it, I'll provide it. It's as simple yeah. as that. So it's not that, and that that's the beauty of it is that if people actually need it, then they will get a home there because I will put it there, you know, so that yeah. it is, it's, it's just pure supply and demand in, in its simplest form. Yeah. Now, do you, do you build like new construction at all or, or is it strictly you just, you're renovating existing homes? Well, no. So that's, in, that's a great question actually, because, um, the long-term goal um, would be to, to do ground-up developments. I would absolutely love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, th- what's halting me truly um, is I have a vision that I want to build um, like net carbon homes. I want to do totally carbon neutral, like mm-hmm. zero emission, completely green homes. Um, and that is like a really big thing that I'm really passionate about. And um, we've just gone all electric with all our cars in the business and our own personal cars and things. And um, we're really working on understanding now, working through that process. I'm just uh, thinking, actually, I've just seen a few courses come up about um, university courses, actually all about building green homes and developments. And um, it's mm. something I'm really passionate about. I think it's something that the whole world needs to be engaged and involved in. Um, and, and, it's, and that's what I mean. It's, it's so it's purely the reason we haven't done any um it is because i'm waiting for that moment i need to educate myself yeah thoroughly to make sure that i understand that what i'm doing is ethical it's right it's um it's economical you know it's, it's financially viable and um, mm-hmm. which a lot of green projects unfortunately aren't they can be very costly um so i'm just very in the very very early stages of, of researching really and understanding going through the motions and understanding what the best way is to um really build a, an entirely green home um mm-hmm. but, but that that is the vision you know that to me longer term that's really what i'd like we've done loads and loads of renovations we've done a re- we've done renovations that involve you know building extensions or building you know extra stories and things but um mm-hmm. never any ground up work um and and that is that is why because my long-term vision will is really for me to build around the uk completely green houses yeah that's awesome. I, I, I um, I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm super interested in, in more and more green, not just homes, but you know, green, anything, industry, <laughs> green, anything. Yeah. yeah. And, um, um, I, I get excited about, you know, when I see somebody putting solar panels on their house, yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it's just cool. And whether you believe in climate control or, or climate warm, mm. climate warming or not, uh, global warming or not, it's, it's still, there's so many other benefits to it. Like it just makes, it just makes sense. We're, we're moving in that direction. Yeah. So I, 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 I hear you on that one. I, I'm uh, I'm not as far down the road as you, but I, I um, like I have a, I'm doing a flip right now mm-hmm. um, in, in my area and it was built in the sixties and there's a lot of stuff that's very inefficient about it. And uh, I, d- I decided to do, even though it's going to put me over my budget just a little bit, I decided to change out the, the furnace and the air conditioner just because it's, it's old and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I can get it working, but it's, it's using the old Freon and, and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm just trying to get it, you know, update it a little bit just mm-hmm. to be a little bit more. I can sleep a little better at night, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's got to, it's got to start somewhere. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the point, like in the conversions that we're doing at the minute, we try and do things like you say, just as much as you can with the building, just little bits, just yep. to try 
do your bit, you know, as much as possible. Like, and I think in whatever industry you're in, everybody is pushing that agenda now. So Mm -hmm. it's something that's on the cards. I also think it's something that rightly or wrongly, like most things in life will become trendy. And I think it will, I think in the next sort of five to 10 years, I think to be in a green home will be trendy and, you know, to be completely efficient, to be using your solar panels, to be all electric, you know, to be getting all your electricity from a wind turbine. All those things are genuinely what people will look for in real estate in the next five to 10 years. It's inevitable to me that that is going to be the next big trend. So why not get on top of it now? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. But I I do have more questions about, your the the company though so we, we kind of I, I tend to go off on tangents and we could we could get lost in conversation for That's okay. <laughs> beer all day but um uh so if someone wants to work with you say so somebody's listening to this and they're like you know what i've all i want to get into investing because i want another stream of revenue um whether you're a real estate agent or not um how did how do they how do they get involved with you and 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 of course we're in the u.s so um, what would you say to somebody in the U S is like, ah, a little bit scared about investing outside of their own country? I think that's a great question. Um, I think if somebody wanted, you know, we do have overseas investment. And I think if people, you know, want to get involved, then all they have to do is contact me. You know, you can get on my website and um, www.kafproperties.co.uk um, and you can contact us via the website. And um, I've got my own personal website as well, which is www.sarahflintofficial.co.uk. So you can contact me on, on either of those and my um, phone number and everything's on, on those sites mm-hmm. and email address, etc. Um, and particularly, obviously, on the business website and the KF Properties website, there's lots and lots of information on there about how we work with individuals. But, you know, for us, TJ, it's all about the personal um, touch and, and understanding, from my perspective, what the fear is from the client, because fear about investing is very, very individual. Mm-hmm. So um, I found over the years that whenever I'm hit with like a roadblock or an objection about why somebody's unsure about investing, um, it, it's really out there. It, you never hear the same thing twice. Like people just have their own their own issue, you know, for whatever that is, their own fear, their own insecurity from something they've heard from mm-hmm. a myth on the TV that they don't, you know, and, and that's just, yeah. you know, how it works, you know, so... I suppose the big ones are people worried about losing money. Hear that a lot. You know, how do I know, Sarah, that my money is going to be safe with you? Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, <laughs> you know, but but essentially we um work everything out, and I mean to the absolute penny. And I think that's where a lot of other investors fall back on. We work things out absolutely meticulously. Um, I find that lots of um, you know, what I would call kind of wannabe amateur investors, um, mm-hmm. sort of loosely work out the budget. Um, but they don't really have any spreadsheets or any technical things or they miss lots of things off. Um, you know, we have full bespoke spreadsheets that we've created that work everything out to the penny. So we include things that most people wouldn't even dream of thinking about, like the holding costs of the property, the insurance mm-hmm. on it, the fence paint, how many screws we're going to need, the door handles, you know. Um, yeah. For us, no stone is left unturned. And and that is so important because in the early days, I learned the hard way with that. I was like, oh, I think this will be about 15 grand to sort out. Um, (laughs) And that was was as much as my thinking was. And I I quite openly admit that. And I had to really learn the hard way with that. Um, 
but but it, it 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 really served me well for business then because now everything is absolutely meticulous and we work everything out on a complete complete worst case scenario basis so um like a client would come to us he, they, he or she would say you know right I've got um x amount of money that I want to invest we would then go out and look for a project um that we could work on together with that mm-hmm. amount of money um mm-hmm. that they've got and then I would go back and present the project to them and we'd talk about what we'd look to do with it. We'd discuss the return on investment, which is typically for us somewhere between 6 to 12% per annum, dependent upon, um, obviously, the, the size of the project and, and what's, yeah. what it's entailed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the term is generally somewhere between 18 months to two years, dependent upon the size of the project. Mm-hmm. Um but, but, you know, then we would work out all the numbers and I would show them the numbers. I'm very transparent about that. And everything is work out, worked out, as I say, in a complete worst case scenario basis. So the worst thing that will ever happen to our investor money is they just get all their original capital returned into the bank account because something happened, the mark, an unforeseen circumstance, the market crashed, or I don't know, um, and mm-hmm. we had to give them the money back. But they would always get the money back. We would never lose any original capital that had been invested. So okay. I think the, yeah. the money loss is a big one. People do fight that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next one, obviously, particularly even more so for an overseas investor, is um, knowledge, lack of knowledge, I suppose, mm-hmm. of the UK market. You know, and that and that is really where I come in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that is the point of our business entirely. I have the knowledge. I've invested over um, probably seventy-five thousand pounds nearing of my own money now, investing in uh, my own education in the, the UK property market, market cycles. Really, you know, in-depth data and analysis. We continually watch the market. We do monthly research to make sure that the investment's working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we only ever in- invest in any areas um, that we know, like the back of our hand. Um, whenever I'm thinking about investing somewhere, I spend months researching it before I even think of doing it. I would mm-hmm. drive to the location maybe four or five times. I would do walk rounds. I, I walk around the streets. I speak to the neighbors. I knock on doors. And people think I'm mad, but it's because that I have to get a real feel for the street and the yeah. area. And and you know who better to tell you what an area is like than the people that live there because they won't lie. You yeah. know how many times <laughs> you go to an area, you knock on somebody's door, and you're like, oh hi, just you know, can you tell me about the area? And you get, you know, a little old Janice down the street that's going, oh, well, last week they got broken into and oh, it's all it's all kicking off as a drug den down there. You know, and then you yeah. very quickly, you very quickly think mm, this maybe isn't the place for me. Right. Um, you know, and I'll go speak to um, estate agents. I speak to letting agents. Um, you know, I get a feel for the area and I'll say, you know, which parts are good, which parts are bad, which streets do I avoid? Um mm-hmm. And, and it's really about doing that meticulous research so that I am the knowledge base, you know, so that the investor doesn't have to worry about that at yeah. all. Um, and then I suppose the other one and the big one is time. People say, Sarah, I don't think I've got time for this. Um, and, and, and I think, well, yeah, that, again, that's the point of us. You know, the, from our perspective, the investor can have as, as little or as much involvement as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have investors that really want to um, do a bit like what I would call like a, a learn and earn. So mm-hmm. they're really interested in real estate um, and they want to earn some money. So they invest with us, but they also want to really learn for future. So, you know, we'll give them as much involvement as they want. If they want to come to every site visit we go to, they can do that. Or if they're overseas, we could 
you know, we'll do video calls and we'll walk around the property, show them what's going on, show them mm-hmm. the construction so they can get real time updates. And um, we do, you know, we send monthly statements so they can see how things are progressing. Um, you know, but the, the time thing to me can be absolutely nothing. We have some investors that give us the money and they don't speak to us for the two years. Um, <laughs> and then and then they forgot they've even invested and they're like, oh, I've just got some money into my account. And I was like, yeah, that's because the project's finished. Yeah. Um, but, but you have other people that want, you know, weekly updates monthly updates they want to be kept involved and um, you know so i think it really can be as little or as much involvement as the individual mm-hmm. wants yeah that's 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 awesome pretty pretty flexible there and it, it i i love the part um so you're basically guaranteeing that your that your your initial investment your initial yeah. capital that's not at risk correct right? it, it, things are always at risk but it's it's that's a very minimal risk and you're yeah. going to get that back if something happens. That's yeah. that's that's key right there. I kind of want to sign up now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always here, TJ. <laughs> we'll talk after. But um, <laughs> um, and I just lost train of thought. What, what I was going to ask. I had a good question for you. Oh, this is a good question. So uh, doing all this, it sounds like a lot of work for you. So what? How have you hired people to help you grow and scale? Um, or where are um, you at with, as far as growth goes? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so I am not really big on um, hiring people, um, <laughs> which, which I know sounds silly, um, but, but it's more because I think the business of real, real estate um, is a funny one in that um, you don't ever really need anybody consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, as such, I, I, I don't believe anyway. So the only people that we really need consistently that we pay consistently, but um, we just have a contract with are our letting agents who manage all the properties for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason that is that way is because obviously I, I'm doing this for my own financial freedom as well, you know? So right. this is about me keeping and having a life, you know, and being able to have as much time with my children as possible. And, you know, all the things that I ever wanted in life, I've been able to realize through property. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, so I don't want to create more work for myself in that regard. So um, the bit that I really get involved in, um, which I suppose is time consuming for me, is the finding the property and negotiating the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as, as outside of that, I mean, we are a family run business. So me, my parents and my wife, all four of us are directors. So we mm-hmm. all play our own role anyway. So we don't really... Um, I suppose, permanently hire anybody. What we tend to do is just have short-term contracts with people for various things. So we have contracts with our builder that that we've got a couple of build um, companies that we use all the time because we trust them. And Mm -hmm. we'll just have on and and off contracts with them depending Mm -hmm. upon what projects we've got going on. And, you know, then we've got architects that we will use when we need them. So we kind of pay them ad hoc. Um, So, so everything for us, um, you know, kind of seems to work on that basis, like on a contract contractual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I only ever see my role in the business as um, finding the deal and negotiating the deal, really, and finding mm-hmm. the money for the project. And and there should be nothing else outside of that, um, because yeah. everything else can be outsourced. Mm-hmm. Um, I have looked at the idea of having a VA 
um, or a PA, um, more so because I find the other things that are time consuming of running a business, as everybody will know, is like marketing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have had have had on and off periods with paying people to market or do social media and things. Um, and at the moment, I'm back to kind of doing it myself. Um, and I'm just happy with that, probably because at the minute I've got a bit more time to myself. So I don't mm-hmm. actually mind person and things. Um, but that may change going forward. You know, I, I have got it in my mind that I might go back to maybe like a VA scenario and getting Mm -hmm. people to do some marketing and things. Um, But, you know, I think for the most part, real estate is a bit kind of ad hoc. You sort of need people when you need them, which is it's a funny business to be in um, (laughs) from from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fundamentally for me, it's just about building that great team that you can rely on when you need them, because Mm -hmm. that's very much to me what real estate is about. So if I'm looking for a deal, um, I will then start ringing around the estate agencies and the letting agencies and, I, you know, and I'll start saying, have you got anything coming on the market? Or, you know, is there anything you think, you know, because we get to know each other. So they know what sort of house I'm looking for, what I'm going to do with it, what area I'm looking at. Um, and it's just about calling upon people when you need them, I think, and maintaining mm-hmm. that relationship. So, um, you know, I'll invariably take my mortgage broker out for dinner because it keeps him sweet, send him a bottle of wine once a year, you know, but they're yeah. just nice things that, people appreciate and it keeps them on side you yeah. know if I can send somebody a 20 pound bottle of wine it makes them really happy and I get put to the front of the queue well that's a good deal right you know yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. what you want um so <laughs> so I think it's just more about maintaining and managing those relationships um you know I, I think one of the fortunate things about real estate is you can scale without really employing people mm-hmm. um unless you're looking to go down the route of doing different things in property. Um, so what I have seen other people do when they're scaled um, real estate businesses is they might then set up like a property sourcing business. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys have that in the U S like property sources who will um, like package deals up for investors who don't want to bother looking for um, houses. They just want a fully packaged deal that they can pay the money for. So that you'll give the source like a a Mm -hmm. £2,000 fee for finding the deal or whatever for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so so some people that scale property businesses, you know, start doing different arms of the business um, Mm and like doing sourcing and things like that. And I think if we were ever to go down that avenue, then yes, I would look to employ permanent staff. But um, I think there's just not a need for it in the business at the minute. I think the sort of ad hoc stuff that we do works and it works it works well to be honest for us at the moment mm-hmm. cool yeah it, it's it i definitely heard you say that you, you don't do it on your own we talked about that earlier too with the solopreneur kind of thing yeah and there so there's there's four directors and you're and you each have a role yeah that you that you play and then yeah. and then of course you you're not afraid to to hire somebody it's just on it need a need basis it's not like a person yeah it's like yeah and I think that's the thing I think this is why we do contracts with people because mm-hmm. it's easier it's only when we need them you know there'd be no point me paying an architect all year round for the twice right. a year I'm going to use that you know so right. I think it's just about and, and I think really in England most of the real estate um anybody who does anything to do real estate generally works on that basis you know people mm-hmm. just work on a one-off ad hoc fee basis and that's kind of just the way it is really yeah gotcha well, cool. Well, this is this has been awesome. I'm, I'm so happy we got together and, and had this conversation. Um, like I said, I'm so interested in, in what other people are doing <laughs> around the world. And uh, I, I love your business model. And um, the, uh, what do they call it? A- HMO? Yeah. Housing multiple occupancy? Yeah. Okay. That's right. We get, I get the terminology. Yeah. <laughs> 
And we, just, call we it have, a house, just call it a house share, TJ. That's what house share. Perfect. House share will do. Really yeah. easy. We actually have a, um, there's one, I'm sure there's more than one. There's one company that I know of that um, works with investors. So you buy a house and you, you kind of remodel it to their specifications mm-hmm. and then they will manage it for you. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's a, <clears throat> I'm starting to see that a little bit, a little bit more, especially in mm-hmm. more, more, um, uh, like metropolitan areas, yeah. you know, that's, it's, that's more popular there, but yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's, I guess the work we're catching up to the, the trend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so cool. Well, this has been awesome. I'm going to put uh, a, a bunch of those, a bunch of your links in, in the show notes uh, for you. sure. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you um, and I know you threw out your, your websites again, uh, or you, you threw them out a, a few minutes ago, but just what's the, the best way just to go to, to, uh, KAF properties. Yeah. UK. Yes. Cool. Awesome. Well, I, I always ask everybody this cause I get some really cool answers um, to end off the show. Is, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Ooh, <laughs> that is a really, mm. I can't no, no, think. No, that that is a really, no, I, I don't think there's, I can't think of anything specifically, but um. Mm-hmm. I'll leave you with an overview of, of the property market, if you like, in the UK. So sure. if anybody's interested. Um, so so where are we? What's going on? And why do I think now is a really, really good time to invest in UK property? That is the question. That is the question you should have asked me. I've just thought about it. Why go. is now a really good time to invest in UK property? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the answer really is this. So... In the UK, um, we, and I don't actually know if this marries up to anywhere else in the world, but we, we use something called the 18-year property cycle. And it's um, essentially when you look back through the lifespan of when it, the history of any property that's ever been recorded in the UK, the house prices, um, it follows like an 18-year pattern. Um, and we are right at the pinnacle of a really great point in this 18-year cycle. Mm-hmm. So the, the essence of the, the of the cycle is this. So you have a period at the start of the cycle of a little bit of growth. Mm-hmm. Then there's a dip. So that dip for where we are now in the cycle was uh, was sort of like Brexit and COVID. So mm-hmm. it was like the little dip. Then what happens is then you have a period of like exponential growth. Mm-hmm. And then at the top of the point of growth, then you have a housing crash. Mm-hmm. So we're right at the start of this dip, this first dip. So in the UK, we are about to embark on five to six years of absolutely amazing growth in house prices, in house prices. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good time to buy because relatively it will be cheap to how it's going to be um, mm-hmm. in, te- in sort of five or six years. Um, so to me, anybody that's thinking about investing in the UK wants to be buying now, <laughs> right now, um, and holding for probably five or six years and then selling off probably in five or six years because you'll make your money from your rent for the next five years. Your house price will go up in the background and then you can sell all your property out for a profit before the crash happens. Yeah. Um, and another thing that really kind of supports that argument as well is if you look at sort of real adjusted inflation prices as well, um, we are still about 10% away um, from relatively where we were in the pre-2007 crash. So um, mm-hmm. that would it really supports that we are going through that cycle again. Mm-hmm. And sort of 
2025, 2026 really will be the pinnacle before the next crash um, is kind of what, what everyone's thinking. So get in now, get out in 2025. That is my advice, but it's an excellent time to invest. There's all sorts of really exciting stuff going on in the UK. We've had some massive laws relaxed for the next two or three years. So lots of red tape that we've previously had um, around new builds has all gone. You can pretty much do what you want. All sorts is going on at the minute um, that you'd have to do, you'd have to get planning permission for and temporarily all that's been kiboshed. So um, mm-hmm. you, you can get lots of things pre-approved um, you can do lots of sort of ground up building work that you couldn't do before without loads and loads of surveys and stuff. So um, it's all good news. The next few years in the UK are very exciting from a property perspective and definitely the place to be. Yeah. Well, if you if you weren't in any listener that wasn't convinced that you know what you're talking about prior to that, well, or they should definitely be convinced now. So, <laughs> so cool. Um, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, anybody listening out there, uh, give a call, find out more. Um, I'm, I'm sure it even just like a, a discovery call with you is, is acceptable. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like I, I do, um, like I do private mentoring and tuition and speaking on the side anyway, all to do with property. So even mm-hmm. if anybody just wanted a one-off session or anything, you know, I'd be happy to give any sort of free advice, um, you know, about UK property if anybody's unsure. Awesome. Yeah. And how are you to speak? You can yeah, speak. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. We don't want to glaze over that at all. You're definitely available for, for speaking gigs. Yeah. Cool. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Lots of great insight. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me, TJ. It's been really good. Really enjoyed myself. Yeah. I can't wait till you start building green homes. I'll have to have you back on. Definitely. Do another show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sarah. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care.